We'll open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, and we are continuing our study of all that matters. Let's begin by looking at verses 9 through 14. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Christ we have been rescued. In fact, really the tagline today could be rescued from dark to light. We move from the darkness of unbelief and the world into the light of the glory of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it is a light bulb moment. When you get saved, suddenly things begin to make sense. And when you study the Bible, you begin to see God as he is. And he continues to reveal himself to us. And as we walk in obedience, the revelation gets greater. And he promises that if we seek him with all of our heart, what? We'll find him. He's not hiding from us. He is waiting for our heart's affection to be set upon him. And when it is, he reveals himself. He is always speaking and revealing. The problem is not with him. (laughs) It's with us. So when we get our hearts right and we choose to focus on him instead of on ourselves, we begin to see him as he is. And Paul begins by telling them, because of what he's heard about them, because of their faithful love and their their grace in the gospel and how the gospel is growing and expanding all over the world, he is praying for them without ceasing. Now, that is a theme in many of Paul's letters. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So it is God's will that we rejoice, that we pray without ceasing, and that we give thanks. He's telling us this is what should depict the life of a believer. So we should be those who rejoice because of all that we have received in Christ. We should be praying without ceasing. And that means we begin our day focusing on the Lord. But as we walk through our day, we commune with him. We pray. I was just thinking about this this morning because Dana comes out to share a word and kind of get our hearts focused in the midst of worship. And she prays. Then I come out and I pray. And then when I close today, I'll pray. And then Dana will probably pray again. Why are we doing that? For some of you, you probably think, man, they sure do pray a lot. In whose name have we gathered? The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dana and I pray together every week before we begin. And we invite his presence into this place, into our lives. We are here in his name, so we acknowledge him by praying And as I go through my day today, I'll be praying about decisions I make, about people God puts in my path that I might minister to them because I want to be available and ready to advance the kingdom of God in any way he desires to use me. So we are his ambassadors. We are here on mission until we complete the race and we get to see him face to face. In fact, turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, 
And let's begin in verse 15, where we're going to see another similar refrain in a letter to the church at Ephesus. Paul says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the, Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Do you see this repeated language that we've just studied this week from Colossians? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. So Paul is encouraging these Colossian believers and what he is doing is he is commending them but he's praying for them to experience the same truths, the knowledge, the power that he prays for all of the churches that he's connected with. And he spends time in his own personal prayer time praying for them. And his prayer moves from thanksgiving because over what's happening in their midst to intercession. But did you notice the things he asks for? He doesn't ask for their comfort. He's not asking for finances. He's not asking for provision. He's asking for the filling of their inner man with the knowledge of God. What did Jesus pray for his disciples in John 17? What did he say about real life? He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So knowing him is life. Not only is he all that life is about, he is life. And he prayed for them to have the knowledge of his will, we see in verse 9, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Knowing him is our greatest good. And Max Anders in his commentary said, the word fill means to control. To be filled with something, an emotion like fear or jealousy, means to be under its controlling influence that causes us to do things we might not do otherwise. Being controlled by God's will should cause us to do things we might not otherwise do. Things like enduring rather than giving up. Like being patient with others rather than getting angry with them. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 14. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. How did he reveal these truths? Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So what is Paul telling the church in Corinth? You've received the Spirit of God, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God who knows the very thoughts of God. And when you think about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Spirit has come to indwell us as believers, and we have the Spirit of God literally living within us who knows his thoughts, and his desire is to reveal himself to us, And he reveals himself through his word. He reveals himself to us through the inner witness of his spirit. And as his spirit guides us when we're filled with the knowledge of him, filled with his spirit, we are going to act differently than if we are filled with something else. 
Spiritual understanding includes wisdom, the acquisition of knowledge, and the application of that knowledge to a specific concern. It, therefore, consists in the ability to act and think spiritually. But we just read the natural man, the lost person, who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, cannot understand the things of the Spirit because they're spiritually discerned. They're spiritually appraised. But we have the Spirit, and He'll teach us everything we need to know. As we get into His Word and as we submit ourselves to His Word, He begins to reveal Himself to us. And then we're commanded in 10 through 12 to walk worthy. Now that is, that's lofty language, is it not? How are we going to walk worthy of Jesus Christ? The only way we can do that is through the power of his spirit who dwells within us. It says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Not just every once in a while or on Sunday mornings or during your quiet time, but in all respects all the time. We're to be walking worthy on a daily basis walking filled with the knowledge of him as we have surrendered to him through his word. Richard Melick in his commentary said, one of the first commands from God was given to Abraham who was told to walk before me and be blameless. Okay, that's exactly what Paul is telling us, right? God told him to do that in the Old Testament. He's telling us through Paul to do that today. From that time, the term walk became synonymous with obedience to the grace of God. Paul's purpose was clearly ethical, rather than intellectual. It related to character more than to abstract thought. So these are not just teachings we're adhering to and mouthing back or filling out a workbook. These are the truths of God that are coming into our heart and conforming us to the image of Christ so that it literally fills us with the knowledge of him so that we act like him. We're able to walk worthy and to please him in all respects because we're allowing him to walk and work in us and through us. Now think with me just a moment. There are two basic types of glass as far as what they're used for. Okay, there's glass that you use to see through, like in a window, and then there's glass that they back with silver or aluminum so that when you look into it, you don't see through it. What do you see? A reflection of yourself, right? And it's very helpful <laughs> to have a mirror uh, as you're getting ready in the morning. You know, I am kind of, I'm pretty accident prone. It's basically because I'm kind of always in a hurry. I will have burn marks from my curling iron, you know, and still go, what did you do? Did you burn yourself again? <laughs> and I do it because I'm distracted or I'm listening to a podcast or doing something else while I'm trying to get ready. And, you know, I've got the mirror in front of me, but I'm not really paying attention. And so I end up burning myself and I run into things all the time because I'm usually in a hurry, even running through my house. And I will have a bruise on the, my thigh or a bruise on my arm. And Steve will say, where'd you get that bruise? And I can honestly say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. I hit things so often. I don't remember which time it was. Because I'm usually on a mission. I'm busy trying to get there. But when I look in the mirror, I see a reflection of myself. But as believers, we are called to look through a glass and see others. We're to look through the window, not spend the majority of our time looking at ourselves, but instead looking through and seeing Christ and seeing others. And I will find that when I do that, I will have much greater joy and satisfaction because when we focus on ourselves, we can become very insecure and self-conscious. What is humility? We're called to walk humbly with our God, right? Humility is not thinking poorly of oneself, as G.K. Chesterton said. It is not to think of oneself at all. <laughs> so it is to finish getting ready in the morning and going, Lord, this is the best it's going to be, and I'm off. I'm on my way. And not having to think about it again. 
Because ultimately, it really does not matter. And yet, we live in such a self-focused society. What are selfies if they're not self-focused? And they're not even an accurate reflection because they've been filtered and edited. And, and you know, the, this younger generation, they know their right angle, their good side. I mean, I don't guess I have a good side because when they say, oh, I, you got to be over here, this is my good side. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just haven't studied pictures enough, I guess. But how sad that we spend so much time curating an image to put out there instead of submitting ourselves to the image of Jesus Christ. Not wanting to look like culture and be approved by culture, but wanting to look like Jesus and be approved by God. That's what he's calling us to in this book that we're studying. So how can we walk worthy if we're focusing on ourselves or imitating our culture? Let's choose today to walk worthy because we're going to look through the window. <laughs> we're going to look through the glass and we're going to see Christ and we're going to see others. And we're going to get in on what he has called us to be about. And that is making disciples. So pleasing him in all respects. And it goes in and we studied this week that it shows basically four areas in which there's going to be growth. There's going to be change in our life. And one of them is that we're going to be bearing fruit. We're going to be bearing fruit in every good work. A few weeks ago, um, when we were diagnosed with COVID and Steve was not able to be here to preach and Derek preached in his place, he was preaching out of Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, and 10. And 10 really jumped out at me that morning because it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So you've been created for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And I think back about Arise to Read because that was immediately what came to my mind when God called me to that in the summer of 2012 and said to me in my prayer time, this is your city, these are your children. What are you doing about it? Why would he ask me a question like that in my quiet time? Because I belong to him. And I'm to be imaging him in the place to which he's called me. And if these children created in his image need ministry, we are his hands and feet as his followers. And I'm to be about ministering to the least of them and serving him, them just as I would him. Because that's exactly what Christ said. When you do it to one of the least of these, you've done it to me. And the beauty now in 2022 and looking back, at that summer and realizing all that God has accomplished through Arise to Read and the, the vehicle it has become for reaching children, helping them get on grade level in reading by the third grade, but also using Bible clubs on the campuses of these schools, how it's getting volunteers involved in the children's lives and it's giving them a simple pathway for an hour a week to profoundly impact the lives of two students, literally changing the trajectory of their lives. And the main thing is it's because you're there. An individual, a person, is showing these children, you matter, and I'm going to carve out time in my week, each week, to be here because you matter, because you are created in the image of God. You have infinite worth and possibility. So, God, I want to serve. And I look back on that now, and I see the staff that we have and how many states we're in and even foreign countries, and I just marvel because it has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with me and everything to do with him. It's 
It's a good work he created beforehand, and he's just letting me get in on it. And he's letting the others who are volunteering in it or who are serving or who are working for us, he's letting us get in on what he is doing. So it takes all the pressure off of us. All we have to do is surrender, just be available, to be a vessel of honor in his hand that will exalt the name of Jesus Christ and advance his kingdom and his purposes. So we're to be bearing fruit. John 15, 8 said, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Well, what does verse 7 say? If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask, pray, ask, whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified. By answered prayer is my Father glorified. And so you prove to be my disciples. When's the last time God answered a prayer for you? And I realize sometimes we pray things for years without receiving an answer. And we're to stay faithful and to keep asking and seeking and knocking. But we're also going to experience some answers to prayer if we're praying. And we should have current Answers to prayer, things God is doing in our lives, using us to advance his kingdom that we can share with others. That's part of the testimony of what it means to be in Christ Jesus. That's part of the fruit that we're to bear. It's answered prayer. But also, we're to grow. Nevertheless, N.T. Wright said, those who belong to Christ can and do please God. We're to walk in a manner that pleases him, right, in all respects. God looks on his new, albeit as yet incomplete creation, and we are incomplete but new in Christ, and declares it to be very good. This explanation is supported by another oblique allusion to Genesis 1. Just as the gospel is bearing fruit and growing, so God's people are themselves bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. And the words he used there are the exact same ones he used in verse 6 when he was talking about the gospel bearing fruit and increasing. And now he's telling them they individually are bearing fruit and growing in the knowledge of God. And so that should be evident in our lives as well. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. So the obvious question, and we know the answer is it, has anybody arrived? <laughs> no, none of us will have arrived until the day we see him face to face and he completely transforms us into his image. And we'll get to that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, when it tells us when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, you will be revealed with him in glory. We will be just as he is. But until then, we are to excel even more in walking in a manner that pleases him. And we're to excel in endurance. Now, this one can be a challenge for us. He's combining here being steadfast and patient. Now, what he's talking about is be steadfast in your circumstances. Don't give up even when the situation is tough. But when he's talking about patience, he's talking about people. Now, sometimes we endure circumstances a little bit better than we endure people, don't we? We can become short, especially sometimes with those we live with, the ones that we have a tendency to take for granted. Um, we cannot be quite so patient. But it's very interesting to me that he says, the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks, that joyously giving thanks follows patience. So maybe if we're patient, we will be more joyously thankful. <laughs> But that too causes us to surrender, does it not? To surrender and to stop looking at our own reflection and how our needs are going to be met 
and instead looking through the glass, looking through the window, into the life of another and asking, Lord, how may I serve them? What are their needs? How can you use me to be a minister of grace in their life? And when I do that, God grants me through the power of his Holy Spirit living within me steadfastness for my circumstance, patience with others. He allows me to see people the way he sees them. And sometimes when they're broken or wounded, God will allow you to see that. And it gives you greater compassion and understanding. And maybe you were there once. And so he gives you that connection with someone. But also, we just said none of us have arrived. So just as I grant grace to another, I desire grace as well. So I want to give to others what I want. So we're to joyously give thanks. We're to be people of gratitude. We're to live our lives joyously giving thanks to the Lord and being grateful because our Heavenly Father has come after us. And he is the one who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Not because we deserved it. Not when we became good enough. Not when we called out to him. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, lost in the darkness of our sin, Jesus Christ came for us. And it's the light of the gospel that opens our eyes through the power of the Holy Spirit, to our great need. And we've received an inheritance. Look back at verses 12 through 14. It says, We're to joyously give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. In him, we are redeemed and fully forgiven. Because we've been rescued out of darkness, out of that dark place where we did not know God and we lived fully for ourselves. And he came and rescued us through Jesus Christ and he's transferred us into the kingdom of light. Now how different should we walk if we're a part of the kingdom of light? What does light do? It illumines the path, right? He, he, he lights the path that he has marked for us to walk. What it, we, we talk about when we get something, we understand something as being a light bulb moment. What happens? Light illumines in our mind the truth of who God is and his word and how it all fits together. And we suddenly see this grand narrative of the story of God from Genesis to Revelation. And that in his great grace, he has chosen to write us in through the death of his only begotten son. The son whom he loves that he sent for us to rescue us because we were bound and could not get out. We could not experience freedom on our own. And this is language that really harkens back to the Exodus language of the Old Testament. In fact, the first reason for Thanksgiving is that the Colossians have been given a share in the new Exodus, the deliverance of the true people of God, the God that is who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. There are so many spiritual parallels with the physical picture of the exodus and deliverance and the spiritual picture of what we have because we're in Christ Jesus. In fact, in Exodus 13, 9b, 
It says, with a strong hand, the Lord rescued you from Egypt. So what did God do for the Israelites in Egypt? Now, they're down here in Egypt. Here's the Mediterranean Sea. Here's where they're going to go, and here's the Holy Land right up here, okay? So they're in Egypt. They have been in Egypt for 430 years, the Bible tells us, in the book of Exodus, when they are released to go and worship their God and to take the land that God had promised them all the way back to Abraham. But when they come out of Egypt, and Egypt represents the world, they come up and God leads them to the Red Sea. And suddenly they're caught between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army because God hardened Pharaoh's heart and he came back after them. But God put that pillar of cloud and fire between them and he opened, parted the sea, making a way so that all of the Israelites walked through on dry ground, going through the waters that are a picture of baptism, to the other side. And God took them to Mount Sinai where he met with them. And he came down in blazing glory on Mount Sinai. And he allowed Moses to go up on that mountain. And there he gave him the words of God, the commands for how they were to live in this new land that God was giving them to possess. And they leave from there to go to the promised land. And they send the 12 spies into the promised land to just go kind of scope it out and come back and tell us what it's like because we know it's good. God has told us it is a, it's a land of abundance. It's a land of milk and honey. And he is giving it to us and it will be a place of rest and peace for us. Well, the 12 spies come back and we know the story because we've used them as an example quite often. There are 10 who come back with a bad report and two that come with a good report. And what's the difference in their two reports? Well, the 10 that come back with the bad report are completely locked into the natural. All they see is what's happening in the temporal They have a worldly vantage point. Joshua and Caleb actually believe God. And because they believe, God gives them spiritual sight. And they have a kingdom, an eternal vantage point. And they come back and the ten say, no, the land, it's, boy, it is a good land. But the cities are huge. The walls are fortified. The people are huge. There's no way we can take that land. So fear had been allowed to come into their hearts and forced out faith. But Joshua and Caleb believed, so with faith-filled hearts, they see what God has granted them spiritually. And they said, no, no, it's just as they said, but it's obvious God is giving us the land. Totally different perspectives. But the people weren't willing to go in. And what did they say? No, our children will die. We can't take them in there. And what does God do? He says, it will happen to you as you said. So he's giving them what they wanted. They didn't want to go in. They were afraid to go in. They were trusting in themselves. So God said, okay, it's going to be done to you as you said, except your children will not be the ones who die. You will die. You will die in the wilderness, a whole generation of you. So for 40 years, you're going to wander around in the wilderness until that entire generation dies off, except for Joshua and Caleb, who were just as vigorous at 80 as they were at 40. And they will be allowed to go in and take the land that God had given them. Okay, what's the spiritual parallel? We're in Egypt when we're lost in our sin. We're enslaved to sin and we have no way out until God comes and delivers us. And he saves us out of this world and transfers us, like we just read, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, into the kingdom of light, and we become believers. And we pass through the waters of baptism Following the example of Jesus who was baptized, which it's a picture of dying to our old life, being raised to newness in Christ, which means we're now a new creature because we've been born of the Spirit, because we've placed our faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done for us, and we've come alive spiritually, so we've been born again. But do you know the problem 
the parallel doesn't stop there. Unfortunately, the vast majority of believers are still living in what they can see and touch and understand. They allow fear to come in and force out faith. And they're still trying to figure it out. And they're still trying to make life work without surrendering fully to the Lord. They're missing out on the abundant life Christ died to give us. And what did he tell us? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We have a very real enemy, and his goal is to take you out. You understand that. Eliminate your influence for Christ. So if he can keep you living in fear and what-ifs, wandering around in a spiritual wasteland, you're not going to be fruitful for the kingdom of God. The gospel is not going to be going forth from you because you're too focused on yourself and trying to make life work on your own terms. But those who die to their flesh and allow the Spirit of God to take over get to enter into the abundant life, which is the Spirit-filled life, and they get in on the adventure of walking with God and getting in on what He is doing because He is able and He is moving and working and speaking all around us, but only those with eyes to see and ears to hear get in on what He's doing. How sad. That so often the majority, with the bad report, can impact the whole. But I want to encourage you this morning to line up with the Joshua and Caleb's of this world. The Deborah's and the Huldah's of this world. Who walk so intimately with God that when somebody needs a word from God, they know they can come to them. Because God speaks to them. Because they walk with him. And we serve and love a God who speaks. He spoke all that we know into existence. And he is still speaking. And this land of rest that he promised the Israelites is a spiritual rest that he promises us in Christ. So the stress and the anxiety that is so characteristic of our culture, should have no place in the heart and the life of a Christian. And if you did not hear Steve's message Sunday before last on facing storms in life on Mark 4, go back and listen to it. (laughs) You need to hear that because God allows storms to come into our life to do what? Reveal our level of faith. To reveal to us what it is we're trusting in. Am I trusting in my ability? Am I trusting in what I can control? Or have I taken my hands off my life and am I doing what Romans 12, 1 commands me to do? To offer myself as a living sacrifice, totally consumed. That's a burnt offering. Nothing held back. Offering myself as a living sacrifice, which is what? My spiritual service of worship. It's what we've been called to. But the beauty of that then is verse 2. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. God has a good, acceptable, and perfect will for your life. Now, I'm not promising you it's going to be easy or that it will be pain-free. But I can promise you, based on the word of God, And my own personal experience. That if you will die to yourself and take your hands off and surrender to him, he will give you his peace that passes all comprehension. And you can, in the midst of pain and sadness, find incredible peace and rest as you trust him. Because he is going to take us to the other side. And he will give us his rest and his peace. Now think with me just one more moment. 
because I want us to go back to Genesis and I want us to look at the Israelites again and I want us to look at us today and see how the idea of rest, how God lays that foundation in creation and he ultimately fulfills it for us in Jesus Christ. What did God do after six days of creating? Rested. He He showed us, okay, the Sabbath is to be a day of rest and worship. Now that Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day, so their first full day was what? A day of rest and Sabbath. Now, in the Old Testament with the Israelites, Hebrews 3 and 4 gives us a little additional insight into this because it calls the promised land the land of rest. And it tells us they were not allowed to enter in because of un belief. So they lived in stress and anxiety in the wilderness trying to make life work on their own when the promised land was right there. Right there. But they could not enter because of unbelief. What did Jesus say when he came to earth? Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. And my load is light. He carries our load. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Last week on the podcast, Peggy Williams talked about that being one of her favorite verses in counseling with people through our biblical guidance department. And she said she loves finding twins in scripture. And I believe it was Psalm 55:22 that was the twin, but it's telling you to cast your burdens on the Lord. And if you will, you will not be shaken. Because God cares for you. And she said, whatever that heavy burden is, one of the ways she envisions it is, that thing that's weighing you down, that thing that you feel like you can't quite let go of, it's when I pull it up and I offer it to him, I cast it onto him, it's actually an act of worship. Because what am I saying? God, I'm entrusting you with that thing that has me weighed down the most. Probably the thing that you most care about that has you most concerned. You take that thing and you lift it up to him, which is part of what we do when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, right? We're saying, God, all of me, all of my cares, all of my desires, all of my concerns, my burdens, those things that weigh me down, I'm going to cast them on you because you care for me. And it's then that I'm able to enter into his rest because His yoke is easy, and his load is light. I don't know what your load is this morning, but all of us have them. And if you're still holding yours right now, I know your shoulders are drooping, maybe not physically, but spiritually on the inside. You feel the heaviness. He came that we might be transferred out of darkness and heaviness into the light of his son. We have an inheritance because we're in Christ Jesus. Will you transfer that load to the only one able to bear it for you?